Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that curates the collection of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and frankly, I think they belong in a museum. So join us on our quest to the glorious world of Ghibli. You're joining us during a very special series of Ghibliotech. We're calling these episodes our Tokyo Stories, and they were recorded out in Japan. Yes, in this mini-series, we've already eaten Totoro in cream puff form and trekked to Tama Hills for a Whisper of the Heart pilgrimage. And we'll be sharing conversations about what it's like to work as an animator in Japan, as well as a chat with former Ghibli, now Studio Ponok, producers. This episode, though, is all about the most important pilgrimage of all that we made in our time in Tokyo, to the Studio Ghibli Museum. Since its opening in 2001, the Ghibli Museum has been a monument to the magical imagination that goes into the studio's films. It's also the only place in the world that you can see a series of shorts that Miyazaki directed. Like our journeys to Tama and the Cream Puff Factory, this was another trip out to the west of Tokyo, to Mataka, where you get off the train and a bus, styled like the cat bus from My Neighbor Totoro, is waiting for you just outside the station. It was a nice day though, so we took the scenic route along the canal, Takahata would be proud, to the very leafy and bird-filled Inokashira Park. And it's from Inokashira Park that most of this episode was recorded. Michael, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon and we are sat on a bench in a park opposite a museum and not just any museum, a museum where you're greeted at the door. The person who's seemingly selling you your ticket happens to be a familiar face, in fact the most familiar face to anyone 
fond of Studio Ghibli. Totoro himself? The king? The big man. We're sitting outside the exit of the Ghibli Museum in, in, in Akashira Park. Five hours ago, we entered its doors. Mm. That's how long we were there. Yeah, and you could probably spend another five hours in there as well. It's just a magical place. They don't make it easy to get tickets. No, no. Uh, it's out in a suburb of Western Tokyo, a very nice one mm. from what we've seen. You can have a very short bus ride from the train station or a 15-minute canal walk along which um, Totoro is your distance marker, counting down the meters. But once you are here, it's a magical place, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So, as expected, we stand in a queue with quite large number of people waiting to get in immediately at 10 a.m. as the doors open. Some of whom had clearly been here many times before. One lady in front of us was dressed head to toe in Ghibli merch and greeted the attendant at the door as if they were old buddies. Yeah, and was carrying her museum shop bag from <laughs> her previous trip. She knew what she was getting herself in for. But it's interesting actually, so we, this is not like Disney, where maybe ticket prices are, it's a day out. Mm. You do it every holiday, maybe every year, summer holiday. The maximum ticket price here for an adult is a thousand yen. That's, which is near enough seven, seven pounds. pounds. So that's actually a, comparable to, I mean, even less than an exhibition ticket to a museum in central London. Yeah, and if, if you're bringing a little one uh, up to four years old, it's about 70p to get in. It's fantastic. So you can, as long as you can get those tickets as they're released every month or two, come here when, when you want. And I think that pricing is reflective of what Miyazaki wanted to bring to the space. As mm. soon as we walked through the door, we were told there's no correct way to go around. It is designed like a maze for the kids to run free. And she specifically said kids. Yes. That really, as much as we love coming here and learning a bit more about the films, this is a space for kids. There are wonderful little cubby holes and tiny spiral staircases that arrive in other staircases and just places to get lost. And we're looking at the map of the building as we record this in the park. And the main tagline for the whole space is, let's lose our way together. A, a beautiful message, really. And that is reflected in so many of the rules, the house rules, which include no mobile phones, no photography inside the building. And having come from Shinjuku, Shibuya, Akihabara, where everybody has their phones out constantly, taking pictures. Well, and not even those spaces, like coming from the Science Museum, the History Museum. Even back, back in, in the London. UK. You think about how you go to a modern art museum or the Louvre, and then you have the particular painting that you will be queuing half an hour to even see mm. because of the line five or six people back of taking photos. So that meant there, were, there was this sense of calm and ease and discovery mm. as we wandered around. One thing about the design of this building, it's very much in that world of Ghibli and specifically Miyazaki, the futuristic meeting with the 
19th century European. Yeah, and and rooms revealing themselves upon rooms. We're mm. Thinking of Howl's Moving Castle, even going back to the castle of Cagliostro, the yeah. way that it just keeps expanding the more you delve into it. But little details that you spot almost immediately. Windows are stained glass. Each stained glass window points to a different Ghibli film, different characters. You have windows that are actually fake windows out into the world that have the landscapes from Castle in the Sky, Kiki's Livery Service, House Moving Castle, as a facade behind that. First, and our to-do list at the museum was to visit the screening room, the Saturn Theatre. For the Ghibliotech team, this was going to be a unique and very special viewing experience. Together, we were going to watch a Hayao Miyazaki film that none of us had ever seen. We were going to be watching it for the first time, and we were going to be doing it inside the Ghibli Museum in Japan. We knew beforehand that on the menu that day was the Miyazaki short Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess from 2010. But once we sat down, we found out that there were two shorts on the programme. One was a sort of Hayao Miyazaki guide through the history and the almost the fantasy of flight. Yeah, it's through designs of his own creation. We're looking at the flaptors from Laputa. The tiger moth. And he, he tells us the inspiration. A little uh, dragonfly comes on screen, flaps its wings, and we see the wings of the flaptor fly with a, a little Porco Rosso-style Miyazaki as our guide. Yeah. All in Japanese, so we have no idea what he's actually <laughs> saying. But then the animation, the visuals are so strong, and it takes you through this I say history, but it was blending the real history of aviation, both as an abstract concept, going back to um, Leonardo da Vinci's visions of what flight may be, boats in the sky, through to the Wright brothers, all the way through to this sort of steampunk, post-apocalyptic, what flight could be. Yeah. And what's brilliant is that this Porco Miyazaki he changes costume throughout yeah. as well. So if you've ever imagined what Porco might look like dressed as the Baron from Whisper of the Heart, that's the film to watch. And that's just a little appetizer for Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess, which was from 2010, so it's a relatively recent short. And what did you make of that one, Jake? Well, it's, it's quite strange. Mm. And it's really tight and it feels like more so than a lot of his other films, a traditional fairy tale, like almost like a bedtime yeah. story, because it is short that you could read that story and get all of its details over to someone in 10 minutes. And it's silent, so it works without language. Instead, the, the characters all have their signature almost sound effects that, that, that define them, but then the central cast is very specific. There is a Baba Yaga witch-like figure who quite uniquely for Miyazaki has a very large bosom, mm -hmm. we could say. Which can store a quite <laughs> enormous hat. She has these huge fang teeth coming out of her mouth as well that are poking into her, yeah. um, which must be uncomfortable. I think absolutely be thinking of Yubaba for this one. Yeah. And her ability to transform into a bird in particular. Flying around. So she's cracking eggs. She's making 
well, it's like a 12 egg fried egg breakfast that is just she's chomping down on and there's one egg that would ref refuses to be cracked on the side of the pan and she tosses it aside but takes a ribbon from her hair turns it into a little dress and that egg becomes sentient becomes a person yeah becomes a the egg princess as we may find out later but then that egg becomes her sort of gopher her sort of apprentice type servant and one day the egg princess is kneading dough and the dough comes to life and that in, engages with this engages this chase across the mm. kingdom where the egg and the dough are trying to escape from the witch and they go to a town where it's all animals mostly rabbits a lot of rabbits a lot, you see a lot of industry there yeah. the inner workings of a society that we'll never really see beyond this superficial level and suddenly the witch arrives and bundles Mr. Doe into an oven. And we see this most incredible breakout moment of animation where Mr. Doe rises into being as quite a buff, almost castle-in-the-sky robot-type lad mm. bursting out of the crust. It's in those final moments that it suddenly feels fully Miyazaki because yeah. That's a moment of terror that's just a little bit more intense than just infant cartoonism. Yeah. Because as Mr. Doe is locked in the oven, you are scared for him. But also it's a moment of transformation. It's a moment of coming into being. It goes all the way back to Naushka where you have the ancient warriors. The way that he almost comes out of the oven too soon. Mm. So we see almost the, the great warrior come out right on time. Yeah. He's fully ready. He almost crawls out of that oven, fully formed. And it's quite frank, Frankly, looks delicious. <laughs> he actually tears off, like, his one peck, doesn't he? Yeah, this is quite a wonderful moment, I thought, in that he was ultimately born by the witch. He wouldn't exist without her. Mm. And in his final act of both forgiveness and vengeance gives her this reminder of him that he helped the egg princess, her slave, escape and she just demolishes it. But then, that's surprisingly complex as well, you say mm. it's a fairy tale but then we see in those moments as well that as Baba Yaga is creating Mr. Doe into his crusty form She's still, is she still planning to take them back? But she turns around and out of the crowd, the crowd parts and two adult-sized eggs <laughs> appear. One with a crown. How would you define an adult-sized egg, by the way, Michael? I'd say that it's an egg where <laughs> top to tail, five feet, five okay. feet, five. So it's a five-foot egg. I mean, what, what chicken could lay that? Yeah, exactly. But so... This raises the question, so the tiny egg we've been seeing all the way through, the egg princess of the title is a literal princess, and those are the king and queen of egg land. Yeah. How do they grow? It's a very big question, and we're never going to get an answer to it. We should say that Joe Hisayashi does the score, and it's a very Baroque score, um, a bit unlike whatever, mm. anything he's done for the features. Well, I think maybe that's the thing that maybe triggered that more traditional western fairy tale mm. feeling but it's a really wonderful short it comes it fits in that post ponyo 
nook. And I think he's really experimenting with animation and movement. But it's, it feels to me like it's slightly reactionary to uh, Hal's Moving Castle in the way that we talked about that one as having slightly basic patriarchal principles mm. about the person who is locked in and told to clean the house and just serve. And the Egg Princess is all about breaking out of that. Exactly, that's very true. Like Mr. Doe, as the film was over, we rose, albeit slightly less buff and toasted, out of our seats and started to explore the museum proper. Whilst the museum does have permanent exhibitions, there is a rotating special exhibition. In the past, it's been dedicated to Ghibli's use of colour or their incredible representations of food. This one was called Sketch Flash Spark from the Ghibli Forest Sketchbook. It was essentially a museum exhibition about the museum's exhibitions, a greatest hits package showing us everything we've missed over the last two decades, such as exhibitions on Spirited Away and Castle in the Sky. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One of my favorite elements of that exhibition was these drawings of different sets from the films whether that's the mining town from the pewter or the actual castle in the sky. And you've got this wide cross-section of the, this enormous space, and then these cut-in shots are on the edge of the page that show close-ups of where events from the film are happening. Mm. And we have spoken before about this idea of drawing a map of a location so you can properly fill it, so it can feel lived in. And this was exactly that. We were seeing those maps, and we were seeing how those shots fit into that world. But then this whole museum felt so lived in. Mm. The special exhibitions bit was really interesting. Again, all ins- all of the inscriptions were in Japanese, so there's some of these things were lost on us. Mm. We could tell that some exhibitions were anniversaries, Castle of Cagliostro, um, there was one that was an Ardman special. Mm. So it was amazing to see how Ardman, to, to many British viewers, have such a unique visual style, how that would map onto Ghibli. Um, Seeing a Totoro-ized Ardman rabbit. Yes, exactly. 
We should say that various parts around the screening room in the back of the, uh, the projection booth, there were inscriptions, signatures, sketches from the animators and filmmakers that have visited before. There was a, um, what do we see? We saw Sean the Sheep, Michelle Ocelot had, uh, had also done that, and Joran uh, Stein. Really great to see that this was a home for animation. Of course, it could be seen almost... Now, I know that Sean the Sheep isn't a filmmaker, but these inscriptions are from visiting filmmakers who have presented their work at the museum. We often think of Ghibli standing alone, but they're actually very vocal about the filmmakers they admire, such as Ardman from the UK, the French director Michel Ocelot, who directed Kirikou and the Sorceress, or the amazing Russian animator Yuri Norstein, whose short film Hedgehog in the Fog is one of the most beautiful films ever made. But the permanent exhibitions were all about communicating the artist and animator's craft. Yeah, so on one side of the building, you've got two exhibitions, the beginning of movement and where a film is born. And that was almost sort of like the exhibition you'd find in any moving picture museum. If you have one in the big, big city near you, we have the London Film Museum where it talks about zoetropes, and hand-cranked animation machines and the discovery of Edward Muybridge and how many frames per second and with the flicker and how that is move, you know, gives the illusion of movement. But the way that Miyazaki, and when we say Miyazaki in this context, it's just as much Hayao Miyazaki as Goro, who was the first director of the museum, the way they take you through that journey with characters from the films. Yeah. Really it's wonderful. A wonderful room, and again, one that is so representative of the purpose of the museum of bringing kids in there to explore, to get excited and without them thinking about it, learning about these films and how they actually get made. How does a Totoro fly with an umbrella? Well, yes. if we spin this wheel and we point a torch at it, we can see that that's actually lots of little Totoros that have been stitched together in this process of movement. And you say they literally had kids holding the torch mm. to create the flicker. There was an, also a um, a mini sort of edit suite set up where you could hand crank the film through and you could see, I get it was a sequence from the middle of Spirited Away of, of Yubala flying down a corridor. Mm. And you could hand crank that to the, to the desired speed. Really something. And you say that sense of discovery, one thing I would like to point out, as you walk into the, uh, that permanent exhibition, there is the House of Ghibli which is this structure, almost like a, an advent calendar, where doors are opening left, right and centre to reveal the films. Curiously, mm. the film up top is Tales from Earthsea, Goro Miyazaki making his stamp there. But there's one door to the bottom right that isn't automatically opened and left open. And you crawl down there, imagine that you're a seven or eight year old, and you open it, and it's a mini diorama. There's a, there's a interesting looking man in the corner just huddled over a desk. It's a diorama of Miyazaki at his animation desk with some of the other animators around him and you can see tiny replicas of art books, of sketches, of designs and storyboards and you can tell they're making Princess Mononoke right there before your eyes and that's on the small scale. Upstairs on the, on the second floor you have a life-size scale recreation of an artist's Garrett almost. You have their room, their animated animation desk which shows you through the whole process from sketch to animation to colouring to the finished article. Yeah. It's really great considering it is on the face of it 
how movies get made, yeah. <laughs> really. But how animation gets made mm. as well. Uh, there's stuff in here about the layering of foreground and background and the art of colouring that perhaps is being given a more of a focus here than we might see in a standard movie, TV, museum situation. Yes. Once we had finally finished poring over every nook and cranny of the museum exhibitions, we still had a couple of rooms left in which to open our minds and our wallets. Living up to the name of our podcast, first up was the Ghibli Library, the Tri-Hawks. One half of it is uh, a bunch of kids' fiction that Miyazaki recommends, <laughs> including some wonderful Japanese translations of Roald Dahl, of... Uh, A.A. Milne, J.R.R. Tolkien. And, of course, the copies of the books that they had adapted as well. Yes. A beautiful copy of When Marnie Was There. Mm. The right-hand side are all the books published by or about Ghibli. And, well, we bought books from there. And then there's the main store, the merchandise store, which is themed after characters from Porco Rosso. <laughs> oh, I think we'll all have to talk on mic for that because both yeah. producer Steph and Harold also came out with bags bursting. And the last thing that we did was to climb to the very top of the oh. building, to stand on the, on the garden roof. Because photography is not allowed within the museum itself, we only ever see the outside and the roof is what, one thing I had seen before mm. and that's where you have the robot from Castle in the Sky, looking out over the whole museum. Just and providing his own sense of calm. Exactly. Over it's the whole space. It's like he's rolling out his arm with a flower in it and has just rested that on top of the building. So Jake, the big question is, did you enjoy your time here? Well, considering that pretty much my favorite thing to do if I've got a weekend by myself is to try and fit two museums in in one day. Uh-huh. Uh, just going to a Studio Ghibli museum in Japan with you for the podcast is pretty much my ultimate museum experience. I, I, I agree with you. I, what, I mean, we love the whole team, don't we? And being here, doing these excursions here in Japan has been such a wonderful trip. But the films, the location, the design, everything has been really wonderful about this museum. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Well, also something to think about is currently this is locked in time. Nothing here will change, but there is a new film. Exactly. So what is Goro going to have to do? Is he going to have to build a whole new wing for the next time his dad decides to come out of retirement? Well, of course, we need to come back to see every single short. There are ten of them. Yes, yes. We need to come back next time there's a new exhibition. We need to come back next time there's a new film. So, let's we, put, like, like, what, every three months, four months, we should come back. Deal? Yeah, I think so, yeah. We've got <laughs> the money for that. <laughs> let's just look down the back of the sofa. Now that we've reached the end of our trip to the museum, like all good field trips, perhaps it's time to look at what we've picked up in the gift shop. Let's do it. So we had just visited the Ghibli Museum shop. We mentioned in our previous episode the Ghibli shop at Tokyo Station. There was also Mandarake, the chain of merch shops that we were recommended by a few people. And then also quite a few independent places that we visited during our time in Tokyo. And I think I remember you saying, Jake, that you weren't really much of a merch guy. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, I should probably recount that, shouldn't I? So before we hear our extended chats with Studio Ponok and what it's like to be an animator in Japan, if you'd like to stick around, we're going to finish this episode by plundering our goodie bags of Ghibli merch with some help. Yes. Welcome to the podcast, producer Steph. Hi. And producer Harold. Hi there. Harold, you probably did the most shopping whilst we're in Japan. I think that's fair to say. Uh, I'll take that. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, what were some of your Ghibli merch highlights? Um, so I was buying for my then unborn and now eight-week-old uh, child. Uh, at the time, I didn't know what gender it was, but um, now I'm happy to reveal that it's a little girl called Martha. So oh. uh, shout out to Martha. But um, So a lot of my purchases uh, were fluffy, were cuddly, were um, squishy. And then you got some things for the baby as well. Hey. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I got a, a soft toy Totoro, the green one. Is that still a Totoro? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not actually a green one in the film, but there is in the shop. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. So, yeah, I got, I got one of those. Um, I got a little egg princess uh, soft toy. I've got a one of the little white guardians from Mononoke with the, with the, with the twig. Brilliant. Um, and uh, a, a lot of other squishy things besides. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, uh, less squishy things for you. So... In the greatest twist of this entire series, after me saying all along that I had to limit myself from coming back with 400-pound jackets, etc., I didn't come back with that much merch. But what I did come back with is high-quality stuff. I was really blown away by something I did not expect to see at all, which was these, this line of Ghibli books that were stuffed with the storyboards for each film. And you can see a whole shelf in the bookstore, in the, in the Ghibli Museum, for every film up to and including Studio Ponock's Mare and the Witch's Flower. And could you guess which one I would pick up if I had to come home with just one of them? Oh, I'd hazard a guess that it might have been Whisper of the Heart. Whisper of the Heart, indeed it was. And it was so good looking through it. You can see the, the little sort of thumbnail-sized sketches that Miyazaki did. He did the storyboards for that film. And it was really quite wonderful looking back at these storyboards, comparing with our memories of the real area that we just visited in Tama. Something that really surprised me when we were out there was just the range of books on Ghibli that we found. I mentioned the storyboards for every single film. You'd go into bookshops and there'd be storyboards for other anime films and filmmakers as well. We, we saw an entire collection of Satoshi Kon's films, Perfect Blue, Tokyo Godfathers, gorgeous f- films. But then you'd find a whole bookcase in a corner of a Waterstones equivalent, which is just books on Ghibli. And one book I really wish I'd bought was this book, again, all in Japanese, so I, that's what stopped me from buying it because I couldn't read it. But it's a book containing every piece of marketing material for every Ghibli film up to, I think, Spirited Away. So including posters, including marquees, including newspaper adverts for the double bill of Grave of the Fireflies and My Neighbor Totoro from 1988 that you can see how these were being marketed. And I think for those hardcore deep cut Ghibli nerds, that is just gold dust right there. Yeah, Michael, you mentioned the range of texts that are available for Ghibli fans. and the official ones certainly are interesting, but the unofficial ones, Steph, you and I had a great time <laughs> looking at those. A great time looking through the, uh, when Marnie was there, fanzines. Yeah. Uh, some Ponyo fanzines, some Lisa fanzines going on. We, we should te- contextualise this. So this is in Mandarake. They had a whole section which was just fanzines of 
anime series. And some of these were perfectly innocent. I actually bought a couple. The one, the one that... Perfectly innocent <laughs> listeners. The well, stuff that Michael bought. The, well, the two that were perfectly innocent were the one from when Marnie, for when, for when Marnie was there, which was like a sequel that was about the, the, the lasting connection between the girls. And then one was the sequel to Ponyo, where it was just seemed to be Lisa. You know, as, we, as we've said on this podcast before, the real MVP of that film, the mum in Ponyo, just having a day, mm. juggling being a mum, being a working mum. But the less innocent ones, which were really interesting, was... Oh, Colonel Muska yeah. from Castle in the Sky. He had a whole... <laughs> He's got a got lot of fans. Self to himself. Yeah, I mean, I happily flicked through those. Very entertaining. Um, yeah, and I think it's really leaning into that film being the, the burliest of the, of the Ghibli films. Those puff chests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colonel Muska fits right in. That's quite a fan base, it seems. Mm. Absolutely. And I will say that you did have a bit of a manic merch moment that was perhaps not Ghibli related. Not 100% Ghibli related. (laughs) My favourite non-Ghibli spot of the entire trip was the Tower Records in Shinjuku. Not the one in Shibuya, which is a bit more famous. The newer one in Shinjuku, which has an entire floor dedicated just to vinyl records. And on our final night, after we had our final meal and we were all a bit sleepy. This is about 10pm on the night before we're (laughs) flying out in the morning. I had a quick look online and saw that it closed at 11 and if I jumped on the metro right then I could be there in 15 minutes I went back and I I picked up a few records I got the album Kazumachi Roman by Happy End uh, who are an amazing sort of folk American inspired Japanese band people may know one of their tracks is on the soundtrack to Lost in Translation the Sofia Coppola film and I picked up a couple of uh, secondhand records, one being um, a secondhand Yellow Magic Orchestra album. Basically, a very Harumi Hosono flavored trip to the record store. Wow. Such a hipster dad. Thank you, Jake. Steph, you and I are definitely less cool than Michael then because we were perhaps a little more basic with our choices. We, we like the films and we want things to do with the films. That is pretty much right. I mean, I had a few other things that I was on the hunt for. I'm a big fan of the anime My Hero Academia, which probably makes me a lot less cool than Michael. But uh, so I was kind of on the hunt for that, on the hunt for some Gudetama merch, which is uh, a small egg character, which literally translates to lazy egg. Uh, So I got a lot of stickers, which I'm still using at the moment. Um, But yeah, Ghibli merch wise, I picked up a lot of little kind of surprise packages so I got some Kiki's delivery service badges where you pick up the packet and you don't know what badge is inside and then you have to kind of open it to see what you've got which actually helped for me because I was so overwhelmed by the amount of choice that I was just like okay I'll just get a surprise and then that will be good for me. Yeah, for the trip, these these surprise packs were like our version of a Panini sticker album. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think my favourite thing that I picked up, um, the Ghibli film of my heart is Ponyo. So I got um, a lovely book, which is The Art of Ponyo. And it has, it's all in Japanese. So I just have to look at the pictures, I guess. Um, But it's got all these lovely illustrations and kind of designs and drawings in it, just of the whole film. And it's just so wonderful. Those art books are lovely. Michael, you've got your one. And I, I chipped in and got my own one as well uh, for the art of only yesterday. 
and uh, so many other things that I ended up getting as well. Uh, we've mentioned on the podcast before how much I like the title designs of the films, particularly Toshio Suzuki's calligraphy. And what do we find in one of the Nakano Broadway <laughs> shops? But a, a collection of calligraphy from Toshio Suzuki. And that was probably my, my favorite niche find. Uh, but we mentioned at the top of our first episode that one of the things that I was hunting was a, an original Only Yesterday poster in Japanese. And uh, we went on a journey. We genuinely did check so many different shops for posters and we thought it was a lost cause. Um, but we got a tip. A tip indeed, yeah, from, from Jeff and Hisai at Studio Ponok. They said, go to this Nakano Broadway place, which is you know, multiple floors of nerdy stuff. And we went there on a punt and we, we went through every single floor. And it felt like not not to over-egg the story or anything, but the one place we hadn't looked, the final corner on the top floor, we turn the corner and there's this little kind of hole in a wall where it's a guy at a desk surrounded by piles and piles and piles of posters, right? Yeah. Uh, and so there were these A4 trays and I just did a, a little bit of digging in there and found a small Only Yesterday poster. And being the terrible Englishman abroad that I am and not knowing any Japanese really, all I did was take the A4 Only Yesterday poster, hold it up to the man and just go, big? <laughs> <laughs> and within a minute, there it was. It was in my hands, the actual Only Yesterday poster. And it is now framed at the foot of my bed. And I look at it first thing when I wake up and last thing when I go to bed. You can find photos and videos and other wonderful bits from our trip at gibliotech.tumblr.com. And I think we'll post some photos of some of this lovely merch that we've been talking about as well. We'll have to, won't we? And you can also keep up with us on Twitter at Ghibliotech. If you go back through the archives, you'll see video of us while we were there in Tokyo too. And you can also find Jake on Twitter at JKH Cunningham. And you can find Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. Thanks to John Harris, Evan Marr, Annie Hughes, Dan Jones, and Karis Gaskin for their help putting the trip together, and to everyone who sent in their Tokyo recommendations. What are you singing about? What are you singing? Totoro. Put a beat down, Michael. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.